Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. So uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and read our scripture for today. So it comes from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. And we ask that you would just continue to remind us of this as we hear your word. I ask that you would give Joel the words to speak, um, that you would give him exactly what he needs to be able to preach to us and And, Father, open our hearts that we would walk away different and changed. In your precious name I pray, amen. Amen. I have a bag that uh, I carry with me uh, throughout uh, the day uh, whenever I'm working. Uh, This bag uh, has been around for quite a while. Uh, It has traveled the country uh, on business. It has ridden on every ride-on bus route in down county, Montgomery County. Uh, It has experienced the joy of metro travel on every colored train line that exists in the D.C. metro area, including once getting caught in the door in a crowded rush hour, but I was able to squeeze it out. And uh, this bag has stuck around. Uh, Early on, its uh, buckles began to break one at a time. Uh, First, the right buckle broke so it wouldn't snap and lock in place. Then the left buckle broke and wouldn't snap. And so I learned how to configure my stuff in the bag just the right way. So even if it flaps open when I'm uh, out and about, that stuff stays in there. Then uh, the strap started to break at first one side of it. Uh, it would, I'd be walking along in downtown Silver Spring, and it was like heavy with my laptop and everything else in it, and the strap would just pop, and I would have that like, ugh, try to grab it really quick moment. Um, but I was able to shop around and find a few small carabiners that I could insert that effectively kept this bag together. Now look, with 
most stuff, uh, most of us are in a place in life where when something has, got, you've gotten its usefulness out of it, isn't there at some point where you go, all right, I, I should let this go. I should retire this old fellow uh, and move on to a new bag. There are plenty of bags out there. You can go shopping for all sorts of bags. But this bag is different because around 2011 or so, this bag was a Father's Day gift to me from Stephanie and our kids. And so I don't look at this bag just like any other bag, something to be replaced. No, when it breaks, my head immediately goes to the space where I say, how can I repair it? When uh, you think that it is falling apart, I think, how can I restore it? Because its value to me is not in its mere utility, the fact that it keeps my laptop and my stuff in it. If that was the case, this bag would be gone. But its value is the connection and the time that it has for me because I think about my family and the ways in which it expresses their love to me. This is important because in the prophet Jeremiah's, we've been going through covenants, and we've been talking about covenants as the way in which God establishes his relationship with his people. The whole opening 29 chapters of Jeremiah are about how the buckles of people's faithfulness have broken one at a time over and over and how the strap of the people's connection to God's commands has come loose. And over and over, these people have fumbled the tablets of God's commands. Moreover, they have uh, been charged, as Dan talked about last week, to explain God's covenant promises and commands to their children, but so often they have forgotten But in chapter 30, there is this turn after 29 chapters of brokenness and failure of God's covenant, not because God failed somehow, and not because the covenant was some sort of broken vehicle, but merely because of the unfaithfulness of God's people, you're almost tempted after 29 chapters to say, man, why doesn't God just let this thing go? Why why doesn't he just kind of release this? Go find some other people that can live a lot more faithfully. But in chapter 30, and really in Jeremiah chapter 30 through 33, including the text that Kim just read, God says, these people are valuable to me. These are my people. I care about them. So while you may think after 29 tough chapters of Jeremiah recounting unfaithfulness and warning and obstinance and stiff-necked and hard-heartedness, God says, these are my people, and I'm going to redeem them. And it gives us, to this day, covenant hope. Because it is these people that we are invited into you by turning in faith to God and saying, God, I need your grace. I struggle. I can't keep those commands. I wander. I have doubts. I hurt. God, help me. And when you turn to God in faith, he says, oh yeah, you're in. 
I adopt you in. You are a part of my people. And so when it comes to his covenant promises, the covenant that he cut with Abraham, that he created, that he initiated, the covenant that he made not just with Abraham, but with Isaac and Jacob and with all of the men, women, and children of Israel, as he has brought them out of Egypt into the promised land, these people are his covenant people. And so he works to restore things. He works to redeem them. He is willing to go to great length to demonstrate his love, care, commitment to those who are his. And that gives you and I this morning hope. That is why Jeremiah is writing. It's because when it comes to God's covenant promises, even in the face of the times in which we struggle or fail, even in the face when as a community we look around and we go, man, we're kind of broken. We aren't perfect. We don't have it all together. God is committed to us because we are his family. And so we'll take that up this morning from Jeremiah 31 in three points, looking back, looking deeper, and looking ahead. Looking back, looking deeper, and looking ahead. So you've heard this context, 29 chapters of warning and calling the prophet Jeremiah is telling the people, hey, y'all better watch out. He has pled, cajoled, called out to, warned, sent a sober message, done all that he could to get the people's attention to say, hey, God has some covenant commands and y'all aren't living up to it and you're in danger of breaking the covenant. In fact, you probably already have. And so when God opens up in Jeremiah 31, he gives the words to Jeremiah that look a bit forward. In verse 31, it says, Behold, right? Calls their attention again. The days are coming. And this is a cue for us as readers. This is a phrase that indicates God is going to do something, and he doesn't give us the exact day or time in which it's going to work out, but it is a look ahead. The days are coming, declares the Lord. Again, catch in verse 31, the Lord, all caps, the covenant God. Going back to the sermon that we did just a few weeks ago from Exodus, this is the Lord. The one who has given those promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The one who's brought his people out of bondage. It is him who says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So here, this looking back is important to give us a context and an understanding of how we've arrived in Jeremiah 31 to this point. The prophet Jeremiah is using language, covenantal language that we're familiar with. He's using that covenantal name of God, the Lord in all caps. 
he is looking back to the days of old when he took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. That out of the land of Egypt is the exodus, the thing that we talked about. And remember, that exodus was rooted in God's promises to Abraham that he would be their God and they would be his people. But more on that phrase in a little bit. Here he is through the prophet calling out to them and saying that their unfaithfulness, their breaking of the covenant cuts deep. They are his people. They're more than just a bag or gift or an inanimate object. It is more as if they are his spouse and they've been unfaithful. That's what it means to the Lord when he thinks through his gracious deliverance of his people, his promises, the ways in which he's guided them by pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, the ways in which he's provided them, his commands and structure, the ways in which he has delivered them from bondage, the ways in which he has brought them up out of slavery and given them freedom and freedom to live and live abundantly in the promised land. God has done all of this and he has asked his people to be faithful to him and they have said, eh, maybe not. Not all just in one big decision, but in the repeated decisions, generation over generation, to be tempted to, at first, just kind of have their eyes catch uh, some other God. But then later, not only to have their eyes catch that other God, but to text that other God. And then later, not only to text that other God, but then to connect with that other God, hook up with that other God, and then spend lots of time and emotional energy on that other God. That's the kind of unfaithfulness that has unfolded, not just in a one-time decision, and not just with one generation, but over hundreds of years. And so looking back, this build up, when I read it in my harshest moments, I'm tempted to say, mm, let them go. That's enough. Like, you've put it out there. But God, in his response, and this is what I hope gives us hope, God says, no, they've been unfaithful, but I love them. They are my people, and so I am going to renew this thing. I am going to restore this thing, and I'm going to do it through a new covenant. And so God begins uh, to use this language of the new covenant. Now, uh, in other passages in the Old Testament, there is an idea of an everlasting covenant. There are ideas of God uh, doing something new and lasting deeper in the hearts of his people. But this seems to be the only time in the entire Old Testament that the phrase new covenant is used. And so Jeremiah, for now hundreds of years, this one particular section has been really important in the life of the church because as Jesus unpacks this later, more on that in a moment, this language of new covenant, of God's doubling down in the face of unfaithfulness out of love and restoration for his people becomes part of how God relates to us. And that gives us hope. 
And so God unpacks just a bit just what that new covenant will involve. And he says in verse 33b, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And then in verse 34, he says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And so he gives a sense of what this covenant restoration, what this renewing of his promise to his people is going to look like in those days. And and he gives us a sense of two ways. The first is that the law is going to be written on their hearts. So if you think back just a little bit, or if you've ever encountered the book of Exodus, when God gave his covenant commands that we talked about, he gave them on stone tablets. They were chiseled into stone. And then later, they were captured in various forms of writing that adapted as the technology evolved. But uh, you would have to go to some other source, some external source, to check in on God's commands. And here, God says, there are days that are coming, the new covenant days, where I'm going to do something where my commands, my law, all of what I desire of my people will be imprinted, impressed upon their hearts. One of the things that I appreciate about old movies, like from the 1960s old movies, which maybe to some of you isn't that old, but just work with me here, be gracious, Uh, is when people would make phone calls, they had to go to this specific spot, like in their office or like in the kitchen, and there was a wire coming out of the phone. And when they picked up the receiver, there was like this wire connected from the receiver to the actual phone. When I was growing up, it was like this curly wire that you could put around your finger and play with while you were on the phone. Just trust me. And if you go a little further back in the day, when you pick that phone up, you'd have to talk to an operator, right? You'd have to like actually say, hey, uh, could I make a long distance call or could you connect me uh, with this number? Then the operator would be like, sure, no problem, Joel. Uh, And then like they would do the work uh, and then they would connect you. Uh, And so much so that these wired phones, this was the technology. This was the technology for generations. This is what lots of people knew. So that when these new phones came out, they called them wireless. And the reason why they called them wireless is because there was no longer wires connected to them. You could move around, which was probably really weird for lots of people. But this illustration serves the point to say this change is exactly what God is talking about. Because for hundreds of years, people were wired to God's commands. They would have to go to where those commands were written. Now, they could try to memorize them, and often they did. Particularly the most important ones they would pass on to their kids and talk about as they went about in day-to-day life. But if they wanted to check them, because remember, there was more than 600 commands, they'd have to go and check the stuff or check the scrolls or check the book. But in the new covenant, as part of this new thing that God is doing, when he imprints it on his people's hearts, it's as if he cuts the wires. We begin to have wireless commands. We begin to walk around and function with his commands imprinted on our hearts. 
And he says, we don't need that operator anymore. We don't need a human mediator to connect us. We don't have to go find some human person. We don't have to dial in to the operator and say, hey, will you connect me here or here? But we will no longer have need of human mediators in this new work. Here is how I think that's helpful to us. In all of life, there are times where hard situations come up. It's a lot like what Kim was just sharing about earlier, where she said, it's one thing in the abstract to think about loving uh, immigrant communities around us or to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's one thing. It's an entirely another thing when you actually get in there and the rubber meets the road and you actually have to like figure some things out. That's some work. So in the abstract, it's easy to say, I love my neighbors. When uh, you actually have to give some of your time and energy to do that, it's hard. Well, part of the benefit of having the wireless commands of God, His covenantal commands imprinted on our hearts, is that it removes a couple of the obstacles of when we go through the day-to-day of our lives, and we need to try to understand just what God would require of us as new covenant people. What is it that we are to do? We don't have to go check some stone tablet or some written document. God has imprinted His law hearts. We don't have to go ask some human external mediator, what is it that God requires? So when you uh, are uh, in a, a party or office setting, and you're around a bunch of people, and someone makes a racist joke, you don't have to go and check some external source or go ask a pastor to see if God is okay with the devaluing of human lives. You, in that moment, have God's law imprinted on your heart. Or if you're in a school setting, kids, and someone is being bullied for any reason, someone is being picked on, or made fun of, or pushed around, whether verbally or physically, you don't need to come ask Pastor Joel. You don't need to go searching in the back of your Bible for the word bully to know that that is not okay. Or, for some of you, when you're scrolling around on the internet and you're sensing the freedom of you can go to any website you want, You don't need to go check some external source or text me to know what websites are inappropriate, what websites are even sinful for you to be trafficking in, because God's law is imprinted on your heart. Now, can the wireless commands of God be abused in the same way cell phones can be abused, or mobile phones, or if you're older, wireless phones? Yeah, 100%. You can fall into the other end. You can fall off the horse the other way and say, oh, well, because I have it imprinted on my heart, I don't need anybody to teach me anything. Or because I have it written on my heart, I never need to go to Scripture to learn or to grow about anything. And I don't think that's what Jeremiah is talking about. I think he is trying to give us hope that not only has God reached down looking back at our own lives of unfaithfulness, but that we can look deeper and by the power of God's Spirit that He's poured out on His people in the day-to-day of our lives, we can move in faith because God has imprinted His law on our hearts because He 
works with and for us. And that allows us to look ahead. In verse 33, God writes, I will be their people. I'm sorry, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's this covenantal phrase. It's it's maybe one of the best shorthand descriptors of just how the covenant works throughout the Old Testament. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And in verse 34, he says, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God is telling us what he is putting in place in order to renew his covenant promises to his people. God is inviting us into his covenant hope. God is giving us access to him as our God. He's inviting us to say, you are my God, and inviting us in to him saying of us, they are my people. You don't have to be a specific ethnicity. You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to have a certain socioeconomic status. You definitely don't need some reading level or educational attainment document in order to hear the words of you, I am your God and you are my people. All that you need is to turn in faith, to hear these promises and say, yes, I need that kind of hope. I want to be a part of what God is renewing and restoring. Well, how does God accomplish all of this? When are those days arriving? When do the days show up when his, heart, when his law is written on the hearts of his people? And when there's no human mediator no longer necessary, it is when God himself shows up and declares that the kingdom has arrived. Just a little later in this worship service, you're going to hear these words the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread, and after he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. And then after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is? Amen, sister. Way to go. He, he says, this cup is the new covenant. In those words of institution, the night before Jesus went to the cross for you to bear the weight of your covenant unfaithfulness and to extend and offer up the covenant hope, that night before he raised a glass with his disciples, with his followers, and said, this cup is the new covenant. It is my blood shed for you. Three days before his resurrection from the dead, it is as if at this meal, Jesus has said, the days that Jeremiah was talking about, those days are now here. And so that's what he means when he raises that cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. God brings about his covenant promises. And while Jeremiah couldn't exactly see what that looked like, he could look ahead um, and know that they were coming. Jesus looked back and said, what Jeremiah looked ahead to, it is now. Leslie Newbegin, a theologian and 21st century uh, missiologist, he wrote this. The whole congregation is called to be a healed and healing fellowship in which the love of God binds us together as members. And then catch this. Beyond this, that healing work is to spread beyond the congregation into the community around it. 
If the church is truly the body of Christ, then surely that kind of thing should be happening all the time. Whoever touches the church, even in the most tenuous fashion, even in the midst of all the bustle and press of our business, should find that he has touched on a source of healing. That is our mission in the reality of the new covenant times. It's to look back at the reality of our own struggles and the struggles of the people of God throughout history, but also to look back to what God has accomplished in the work of Jesus. And so now that we know of God's covenant faithfulness, of how he's renewed his people and restored them and made a way for, for them through the life, death, and resurrection for Jesus, that we don't just hoard that love, that we don't just pat one another on the backs like, congratulations, you made it, but that we work that love out among one another and open it up and make it known to the world around. That's what drives the mission of Mosaic Silver Spring. It's not only that we know what God has done, it's that we are so working that out with one another what God is doing through the new covenant and the covenant hope that we have now that we can make his love known. We can show it. We can care for our neighbors. We can do that hard work where the rubber meets the road knowing that God's love for us in Jesus Christ has been made known and that he calls us to make it known in the world around. That's our vision. That's what we hope to be as a church not driven along by some organizational model, not driven along just by uh, making pe people feel guilty, but rather so knowing God's love for us in the new covenant, so living in the covenant hope that we have, that we can't help but loving and caring for our neighbors. Let's do that as a church and as part of the new covenant people. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us, that you will encourage us, and that you will help us. Not only in our own individual lives to not become overwhelmed by our fight against sin, to not become overwhelmed by our unfaithfulness to your covenant commands, but to take hope in your covenant promises through Jesus. When we eat and drink the bread and wine, that we're reminded of what Jesus has accomplished for us that we just couldn't possibly do, and that that becomes our motivation, our hope, our peace, our joy for not only us individually, not only for our community, but for our neighbors and neighborhoods. We ask in Jesus' name.